Our goal this year is to focus on the commandments that Jesus highlighted as the most important in the law of Moses, the command to love God and to love our neighbors. And specifically, we have been seeking to become a people who love our neighbors. We believe that is the key to what God is doing in the world through his people. And the series that we're in right now is really meant to address the the challenge that it is to, a, to adapt our normal way of living, our normal mortal human way of living into God's way of living. Because our normal way of living is sustained by consuming. That I, I get by with what I can take for myself, what I can hold, the resources that I have, that I, I try and keep myself going. And then God comes along and asks me to keep not only myself going, but then help other people around me to keep going. And so I have to have not only enough to get myself by, which is usually a challenge, but then I also have to somehow come up with the resources to get everybody else by as well. And what we're learning in this series as we look at these key conversations that Jesus has in the Gospel of John is that that is not what Jesus is asking of us. He is not asking of us that we somehow find within ourselves the resources to keep our lives and our neighbor's lives going, but rather he asks us, to adopt a completely different way of living and a completely different source of life. At the start of the series, we talked about this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And Jesus says that you don't just need more of the life you already have. You need to be born again into a life that is completely different. And it's completely different because it actually works in the opposite direction. That our normal mortal lives are sustained by consuming, by taking, by controlling, but that the eternal life is sustained by receiving from God and giving to others. That that is actually what sustains us. And then last week we looked at this amazing conversation that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman who is the epitome of a person who's just barely scraping by, just barely keeping it together. And she's trying to be enough for herself and, and, and God... Or Jesus tells her, instead of trying to be a big enough cup and be a full cup, you should be a spring. Be connected to the source of life because the life that will sustain you is not your own. It's the life of Jesus. And what you have to offer others doesn't need to come from your own abilities, your own expertise, your own overflowing extra, but it comes from Jesus. So the Samaritan woman who was an outcast is able to then go and evangelize to her community because what she has to offer is not herself, but Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at a conversation that adopts a new metaphor, which is bread of life. And this is a conversation that Jesus has with a large crowd of people after the most successful church outreach event in history. Jesus has a gathering of five, he speaks to a gathering of 5,000 men and untold women and children. So we don't actually know how big the crowd was, but at least 5,000 men. Okay? So just gathering that many people at your church event is pretty amazing, right? If we had 5,000 people show up at an event, that would be insane, right? And we have a bigger population here than the area Jesus was in. And, but not only that, but God showed up in the most obvious way he could have in the miraculous feeding of 5,000 people, right? We believe that we see God show up in outreach events that we do, and, and we, we believe God is changing lives. So they actually saw Jesus take one boy's lunch and turn it into enough food for all of these people. Most successful church outreach event ever. 
And then then this is the follow-up. This is the conversation that Jesus has with them to help them understand what he, the point of that outreach event, right? Because that's the challenge when you're doing church ministries. You want something that people participate in, but you also want them to understand the real point. It's trying, we're trying to point them to Jesus. So we're going to be looking at this conversation that Jesus has with this crowd as he seeks to help them see past the spectacle to understand the real point of what Jesus is offering. Now, we're actually going to start before the conversation, and we're going to notice what was in the mind of the crowd as they saw this miracle. It says, after the, Jesus saw the, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, why would the people make that conclusion that the prophet who is coming, why would they say, oh, mag- uh, extra bread, like magical bread, therefore prophet who is to come? Well, the prophet who is to come is a reference to a promise in Deuteronomy that Moses made that there would, God said, told Moses there's going to be another prophet that's going to lead the people someday. Right? Now, Moses is associated with another instance of magical bread, right? Manna. Um, he is connected with that in that while the people of Israel were in the desert, and there, there's notoriously little food in the desert, and God sent them bread every morning, miraculous bread, right? And there was this connection that people made, that the Jews made, that when the new Moses came, he would do the same kinds of things as the old Moses. So the Midrash Rabbah says, as the first redeemer caused manna to descend, so will the latter redeemer cause manna to descend. Oh, this guy can bring miraculous bread. He is the Messiah. He is the king. Let's make him king. Because this is the guy who will be able to lead us to independence, and he'll be able to provide us food all the time, right? Because Moses, Moses was, during the time of Moses, God fed them for 40 years with this bread. So he's going to... Jesus is going to usher in an era of no need to bake or provide food. It's just going to be handed to you, right? But Jesus knows that they want to make him a king, so he avoids them. He goes into a solitary place, and then he travels by a very unique mode of travel. He walks across the lake to get to, uh, to Capernaum. And the crowd wakes up in the morning, and they can't find him. They search around. They finally find him in Capernaum. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father has placed his seal of approval. Right here in the opening conversation, we see the tension and the, the misunderstanding and the issue that's going to drive this entire conversation. Okay? So they find Jesus and they say, hey, when did, how, how did you get over here? And Jesus says, look, I know you're excited about what happens, but you didn't actually see the point. He says, uh, you, you, you came here not because you saw the sign. You didn't see the sign. You saw the bread. The and you just care about the fact that I can feed you. You're here for more bread because the first bread is already worn off, right? You eat and you're hungry in a few hours, so they want another meal. But that wasn't the point. 
The point of the bread was not, I didn't come here just to get you a meal to get you through the next few hours. The point of the bread was to be a sign and you missed it. Because my goal here is to connect you with the bread that will bring you eternal life. I'm not here as a stopgap to feed you enough food to get you through to the next meal. I'm here to get you the food that will not spoil, the kind of food that you should ultimately really want because no bread I give you is going to satisfy what you really need, right? So you sh- you're, he said, you're aiming too low. Don't aim for bread that'll get you through the next few hours. Aim for bread that will c- give you eternal life. So... We do this today, right? We come to Jesus looking for more life, looking for the thing that will get us through the next few hours, the next few days, the short-term desire that we have. But what Jesus is offering us is completely different. He's telling us, don't look for that. Look for the thing that matters eternally. And I can, as I came to this passage, I can now sympathize completely with Jesus and the conversation he's having because I have this conversation at least once a week, from Jesus' perspective, at least once a week. My wife has it more. With my children, every time they ask for candy or ice cream at mealtime, right? Because my kids have an appetite. They have a sweet tooth, and they say, hey, can I have candy? They say, no, 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 no. That candy, it's going to give you a little burst of energy, and then you're going to crash. Don't look for the stuff that just tastes good and gets you crash. Look for the food that really sustains you. Eat your dinner. Right, And so when this happens, my wife and I, we have to convince my kids who are asking for candy to instead eat dinner. Now, my wife's cooking is great. I love her cooking. But if you're looking for candy, it's not candy, right? And it's important that it not be candy because she's trying to get them the food that will sustain them. But what they want is candy. And so this is the exact same conversation that Jesus is having with the crowd. They are there asking for their short-sighted, short-term needs. And Jesus is going to try and convince them to pursue what they really need in this life. Which is the bread of life, something bigger than the candy. And that, that metaphor is going to go all the way through this. This is, this is what they're talking about. The crowd wants candy. Jesus wants them to have a balanced meal, a real meal, a sustaining meal. But what is that sustaining meal? What actually gets us uh, healthy? What is the kind of food we should be eating? Well, they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus said, do the works that bring you the bread of eternal life. Well, what are those works? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And here Jesus uses what I would argue to be the most misunderstood word in the Bible, uh, or maybe the word that has the misunderstanding that has had the greatest consequences for the church. That is the word believe. For us, that word believe, it, it means just psychologically agreeing to something. I believe that this is what happened. I believe these facts are true. Now, we as human beings have a miraculous ability to believe certain facts and act in the completely opposite way, right? To mentally agree with facts and then actually behave as if we don't believe in them at all, right? We, we can say that I believe, I know this is the healthy way to live. For instance, I know what kind of food I should be eating. I believe that salad is healthy and then I never eat a salad, right? 
That, that's what we mean by belief. I, I have probably fairly accurate beliefs about what kind of food is healthy, but I do not act on those beliefs very well. And it's a struggle. That's not what the word in Greek here means. The word believe there, it's pisteo. It, in Greek, it means something much broader. I'm going to give you a, a really great example I came across. I think I've used it before that really helps clarify the difference. This is from a book uh, written by Josephus, who was a Jewish commander who wrote about 60 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he's writing in the same language, using the same terminology, grew up in the same place. And he's describing the situation where another group of Jews sent an assassin to kill him. But he figures out that why the assassin's there. And so he calls the assassin over and he, says to, and he tells him that he, I will forgive him what he has done already if he would repent of it and be faithful to me hereafter. So repent, um, abandon the whole assassination thing. Let's take assassination off the table, stop trying to kill me, and instead work for me, join my side, and then I'll forgive you, right? Now it's interesting when he says repent of it and be faithful to me, those are the exact same Greek words Jesus used to, to, uses to say repent and believe in the gospel. That word be, translated as be faithful is pisteo. So the word pisteo, it doesn't simply mean these facts are accurate. When you're talking about a person, it actually means choosing to be loyal to them. It means giving them your allegiance. There's the, belief is part of it, but ultimately it's more like trusting, right? If I really fully believe that there's a certain kind of food that I need to eat in order to have a healthy life and I want to have a healthy life, I'm actually going to eat that way, right? It's that combination of the facts that I believe and the way I invest my life. So when Jesus says that the, the work to, that you do to get the bread of life is to believe in me, he's not saying like sign a doctrinal statement. He's saying, be faithful to me. Give your allegiance to me. Eternal life comes through loyalty and daily obedience to Jesus. Loyalty and daily obedience. Because again, what, what Josephus, Josephus did not mean by uh, be faithful to me, he didn't mean um, say a pledge of allegiance to me and then tomorrow go back to try and assassinate me. Right, like that. If, if, the, if the guy had gone back to trying to assassinate Josephus, that would not have been faithfulness. It is this daily commitment to living out that faithfulness. And so what we're finding is that for Jesus, spiritual health looks a lot like physical health. Because I can't get to physical health simply by having one healthy meal. Right? I can't get to physical health simply by working out one time. How much, how often do we wish that that's what it was? Like how, how many commitments to be healthier last one workout session or one meal? And how much money is spent on wonder cures that are supposed to get you healthy like that? Because that's what we want. But the way to be healthy actually requires daily discipline, daily you know, control, a, a daily investment. Spiritual health is the same way. So Jesus says, the path that you're looking for is actually to obey me. To be loyal to me, to obey me, to follow my path on a daily basis. And they don't particularly like this. It's kind of like me trying to convince my son that instead of having candy for dinner every night, he should regularly eat healthy food and make candy the exception. Right? 
that, that conversation is just not going to fly. That's not going to work for him. Because when he comes to me asking for candy, offering him daily, a daily diet of healthy food is not going to scratch the itch that brought him to me asking for candy, right? It's just not going to be satisfying to him. And so the crowd pulls up, tries to pull a fast one on Jesus. It's, it's kind of funny what they do here. They say, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And actually, in Greek, they, they turn the word back on Jesus. They say, what work will you do? Jesus said, you're going to have to do a work to get the bread. They say, okay, well, what work will you do to convince us that we should do the work you're telling us to do? Hey, here's a good idea. Here's a thing you could do to convince us. What if you gave us bread? That would be a great idea. I just, just off the top of my head, because after all, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they even, they use a Bible verse. As it is written, he gave them bread from above. Like, see, that would be a good, if you want to prove to us that you've got the right way, why don't you give us more of that bread? Because that's what God would do, right? WWGD, God would bring bread. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. So Jesus says, now, now be careful. Remember, Moses didn't give you the bread. He didn't give bread just because you asked for it. That was from God. God decided that you should have bread, that you needed bread in that moment. And now God has given you something different. He has given you this bread that comes down from heaven. They say, okay, give us that bread. We don't care. We're not specific about the bread. Whole wheat, white, what? just give us the bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Because I'm the bread. It's me. If you follow me, I will raise you up on the last day. And that is completely unsatisfying to their appetites, right? They came there looking for bread, and they keep pushing Jesus for bread. Like, seriously, Jesus, all we want is bread. And he keeps pushing. He will not give them the bread. He keeps pushing them to look toward, to, to look toward what brings eternal life, which is following him. And, and they say, okay, but if you give us bread, then we'll trust you that we should seek this other kind of bread. Right? It's like Jesus saying, or it's like James saying to me at the dinner table, well, I'll trust you to, that, and eat this food if you give me candy first. Then I'll know I can trust you that the vegetables are good. Right? If you give me ice, dessert first, give me ice cream, and then I'll trust you that dinner is healthy. Because the, it's all based on that appetite. And we do this with Jesus all the time. We test Jesus on whether he will satisfy our appetites, the things that we already wanted when we came to him. Or we will test the person talking about Jesus and judge, oh, they're, they're telling the truth about Jesus because what they are saying about Jesus satisfies the things I wanted when I came in. Right? We will judge the source based on the quality of the bread. They want a sample. Give us the bread, and we will decide whether the, we'll trust, the, and then we'll trust the source. And Jesus says, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. You don't decide whether you're going to trust in God 
based on the quality of his bread. You decide what bread you're going to eat based on trusting God, right? That you eat the bread because you trust the God that made it. You don't trust the God that made the bread because you like the taste of the bread. Right? Notice that that's what he's saying. He tells him, no, no, no. You're going to have to trust God. Look, the system works. God has sent me to save his people, and I'm not going to lose any of them, right? All of them that he sends me, everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. So the system works. You can trust God. So just trust God that the bread he's giving you is the bread you actually need, right? Trust the bread because it came from God. Don't trust God because you liked the taste of the bread. Because if you go around choosing who you're going to listen to simply because you liked the taste of the bread, then you're just going to be following your appetite around. And the thing is, your appetite is a really bad indicator, a really bad source to follow if you want to be physically healthy. Right? What do we look like physically if you eat only what you want to, as much as you want, whenever you want, or if you work out only when you want for as long as you want, right? What, where does that lead you if you follow your appetites? Does that lead you to being physically healthy? No. I'll tell you what happens, because it happened to me, right? You get, you get into college, and all of a sudden, your metabolism changes, and everything just goes off a cliff, right? <laughs> Eating whenever you want, exercising only when you want. Like, it, it leads to a very unhealthy place if you're following your appetite. So what Jesus is saying is, if you want to be healthy, you can't just follow what you already want. This is a completely different kind of life. You cannot judge the way to eternal life with your mortal appetites. You have to trust God to give you the way. You have to understand that your mortal appetites are not tuned to eternal life. Especially since we talked about how eternal life operates in the opposite way of mortal life. Mortal life is all about consuming. Eternal life is all about receiving and giving. In fact, it is so, eternal life is so opposed to mortal life that that's why Jesus calls it dying, because that's what it feels like. It feels like letting go of all the ways that you make sure that you're going to stay alive and trusting God. It feels like death. Your appetites will not lead you to eternal life. This is why Jesus refuses to prove himself to them by the bread, because then they're just going to follow their stomachs. So, of course, the Jews respond to this, the crowd responds to this the same way my son responds to this. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven. Basically what they're saying is, this answer is completely unsatisfying. That is not at all what we want. We came here looking for bread, and this guy from Nazareth, who's like my cousin grew up with him, and he says he's the one who can give me. I don't want to follow a person. I don't want to follow someone. I just want to eat. Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. Here we come to one of those passages that if you've been taught to, uh, if you've been raised in the right kind of milieu, and if you've been programmed to approach the Bible in the right ways, it very clearly teaches determinism. 
the idea that God has already decided who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. He's decided who he's going to call to him and who he's not. And we're just acting out the script, right? That it doesn't really matter what you do because God's already decided and it's going to, you're either going to get saved or you're not going to get saved. And it kind of sounds like that. Like I said, if you've been taught that that is a, a thing that the Bible says, then when Jesus says that no one, can come to the, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, that's what it sounds like. But that's not actually what he's saying, because it's missing a key part of determinism, which is it doesn't talk about people who have not been called, who have not been drawn by God. What it says is the only way to get to Jesus is God drawing you there. I'll give you an example. We decided, because it was, I apologize for the consequences on all of you, because I'm sure we've provoked the state of Oregon to be horrible to us for the next couple of months. But this week, Casey and I decided to set up the above ground pool in our backyard. It was hot, and I, I know Oregon's going to get back at us for it, but we did, okay? Now, there is a ladder to get into the pool, and we would rather our kids didn't get in there unsupervised, so we make sure that the ladder is inaccessible to them, right? So the only way that my kids can get into the pool is if I put the ladder in the right place so they can climb into the pool, Okay? They can only come to the pool if they are drawn by their father. However, as we found out yesterday, because it's April, so the water is still quite cold, just because I put in the ladder doesn't mean they're going to choose to go into the water, right? They may say, I want to go swimming, and we spend all the time to get them changed and ready, and then they put their toe in and say, nope, right? There's no determinism in this process. It simply means that if I don't put the ladder there, they're not getting into the pool. And the only place they can get into the pool is in the ladder. They're not tall enough, right? So here's what's happening. The people are saying, I don't like this option that Jesus is giving us. I don't like the idea of going through this one guy. That's not the way I want God to, to I, that's not the way I want to get to God. So what if I, so that they're starting to do is consider going some other way to God. Like maybe I'll find my own way to eternal life. Say, no, no, no. No one can come to the, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. No one can get to eternal life except through the way God has given us. Because notice, what, is the, what does it mean to be drawn by God? They will all be taught by God. So if you're going to come to God, you can't make up your own way. There are no trailblazers to heaven. Nobody's going to figure out a shortcut or a back way or some other way. If you want to get to eternal life, if you want to get to the fullness of life, and let me, let me backtrack and say, let me take back talking about getting into heaven. I'm not just talking about like getting the reward at the end, but even just fullness of life here today, including eternal life. You can't figure out your own way. You have, to, you have to be drawn by God, and you have to go the way that he teaches us, which means that we have to learn a new way of thinking, which means we have to learn to approach God in a way other than our appetites, other than the things I just want in the moment, right? We cannot find the way to eternal life ourselves. We have to learn from God. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Here's where Jesus says the most controversial thing he could say to a Jewish audience was his, you're going to have to engage in cannibalism to have eternal life. Which is a hard enough sell to anybody. But to a group where God has explicitly said, don't do that, it's even harder, right? So why does he use this language? I don't believe, one of the interpretations is that he's talking about the Lord's Supper, and I believe there is absolutely a connection, but not in in any sense that would tell us that you have to have communion a certain number of times in order to to have eternal life, right? The eternal life doesn't come from the bread and the cup, but they're actually both pointing us toward the same reality, which is, you are what you eat, right? Now, the ancients knew this without knowing the science, but look at your hands and recognize every cell in your hand is made up of material matter that has gone through your mouth. It's true. What do you think you're made out of? Every every cell in your body has been constructed out of material that went through your mouth, that you ate. You are what you eat. And Jesus says the way to eternal life is to consume it and be transformed by it. What he's telling us is that there is only one eternal life. It's the life of Jesus. And the only way you actually are able to live forever is if you consume the life of Jesus and are made into the life of Jesus. There is no other life that lasts forever except the life of Jesus. And so followers of Jesus receive his life. We don't just get like a stay of execution. We don't just get an antidote. We get a different kind of life that comes from Jesus. That life in which we are freed from the fear of death, freed from the consequences of death, freed so that we know that resurrection is coming and we can live as if resurrection is coming. Because you know Jesus went to the cross because resurrection was on the other side, right? Not to say that there's some limit on his generosity, but to say that he went to the cross because he knew it was the way to resurrection and life for us all. He was willing to give everything he gave at the cross, not as some futile example of love, but because he knew that that would lead to resurrection, he knew that that was the path to life for us all. And so we, as we follow Jesus, we are able to live that same life in the here and now. That we make the decisions about what we're going to do every day, every moment, based on this understanding that we are living the eternal life of Jesus. And it changes the math of every one of our decisions. Now, this is Jesus' explanation after the greatest church outreach event to ever happen, right? So obviously, Jesus has the greatest results of his event of anyone, right? We should expect just this massive, huge movement to come out of this. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. He says, look, everything I've told you is true. It is full of the spirit of God and full of life. It is the only way that this works. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Notice not believing and 
treason are similar because not believing is not just not being convinced, but it's not giving your loyalty. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Unless you learn from the Father and accept his way of understanding, you're not going to understand what I'm saying. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The result of the biggest outreach, church outreach event in history, the most successful outreach event in history, was a net loss of disciples. Anybody tells you that, that being faithful to God will result in nothing but church growth is not quite paid attention because the only thing that results in nothing but growth is, giving, is satisfying people's appetites. Giving them exactly what they want each time you see them. Now, this, when, when Christ is preached, people respond, and God works in people's hearts. But even Jesus had these moments where when he was clear about what he was actually offering, there were people who said, yeah, that's not what I want. I actually just want more of this life. I don't want to follow someone. I want to learn another way. But the people who continued to follow him all understood one thing. They understood that if you're going to follow, if Jesus is the Messiah then he is the only way. The Apostle Peter said a lot of dumb things in the Bible, but he also said some of the smartest things. Jesus turned to the 12 and said, do you, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is the fact that we face. It says that if Jesus is the Messiah, then there is no other way to eternal life. I will tell you that I'm not here because following Jesus is the easy way. It is hard, and I am not great at it. I'm learning, but it is not like this just comes naturally to me. It doesn't come naturally to any of us. But as we learn from God and as we submit to him and are willing to follow him, even when my appetite leads me over here, we find that we are transformed into a fuller, better life. And so if this seems like a hard sell to you when we're talking about loving your neighbors and following Jesus, and you're like, you know, that's not really going to get me where I'm trying to go, you're probably right. Until where we are trying to go is changed by Jesus, the gospel's not necessarily going to get you where you want to go. But it will get you where you need to go. So here's where I want to land. Here's what I want you to take home today from all of this. First of all, Remember that our appetites do not lead us to health, either in mortal life or in eternal life. Your stomach is the least reliable organ for getting your body healthy. Do not listen to your stomach. And that's my battle. That's my struggle. That's why I lost a lot of weight in 2020. And you know what? I found quite a bit of it since then. And I'm going to try to lose it again, but it means I'm going to have to again Stop listening to my stomach. And that means, that, and, and spiritual health is the same thing. We shouldn't expect to have full, abundant lives in this world just by doing the first thing that comes to us in each moment, just by satisfying our immediate appetites in every moment. It's going to require some discipline. The way to eternal life requires discipline, self-denial, and obedience. Right, I'll give you a little example. I talked a couple of weeks ago, at some point recently, about um, revenge procrastination. 
Where as a parent, your time is dominated by your children. And so for me, I have this desire that no matter when my kids go to bed, I'm going to stay up at least like two more hours so that I get time for myself, right? And I don't even use it for anything helpful. I just stay up for those extra two hours and waste it scrolling through Facebook or something, right? That doesn't give me full life. That actually... That actually lessens my experience the next day. It lessens my vitality the next day, right? So the path to fuller life in that case is for me to have some discipline and to be willing to give up some time for myself so that I can have better time with my family and with my church the next day, right? Ultimately, just like getting a healthy body, being, getting spiritual health, getting eternal life will require discipline, self-denial, and obedience, means you're going to have to say no to some things that you'd really like. Maybe even some things you feel entitled to. Not because you're not entitled to them, because entitlement doesn't come into it. Entitlement is the wrong mentality. The question is, what is healthy? Not what do you deserve, because none of us should actually want what we deserve. It's what is healthy? What is right? What leads to human flourishing? What leads to life with God, the kind of life God wants us to have? That means you're going to have to sometimes say no. You're going to have to sometimes follow your bedtime. You know, you're going to have to spend time with people when you'd rather be alone. You're going to have to have an outward-facing life. But remember, what I don't want us to take from this is that you need to do this because you're morally obligated and your own, and your own wants and desires don't matter. Sometimes we feel like what God is asking us to do is to set aside what is good for us completely and just be 100% selfless. We are meant to be selfless. But God wants you to be selfless, not because he loves you less than the people in your life, but because being selfless, being leading this eternal life that is outwardly focused is also what is best for you. You are at your best in this outwardly focused eternal life. And that is what God wants for you. The life of Jesus is the only life that will truly fulfill and sustain you. So God is not asking you to be a martyr by leading a terrible life so that other people can lead good lives. He's saying that a good, fulfilled, sustainable life is a life that is outwardly focused and he wants that for all of his people. Amen? And so as we learn to love our neighbors, it's not just God piling more on the plate. It is God reorienting you into true, fulfilling, sustainable, eternal life, a better life for everyone. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you care about the lives that we lead, that you don't choose some to be martyrs for the benefit of others, but that it is actually being focused on others is better for all of us. You want us to have lives that truly flourish. And, and a flourishing life is not a self-centered life of acquisition and wealth, but it is a life of giving and of compassion and of connection with you and with each other. Father, we recognize that our, our appetites push us in the opposite direction. We hunger for selfishness. We hunger for wealth. We hunger for uh, just to have all good things to ourselves. And we recognize here before you, Father, that our appetites are untrustworthy, that our appetites will not lead us to true life. And so we ask you to teach us, as you have said that you would, teach us to recognize the eternal life that is offered by your Son. Teach us to recognize 
that your son's life is what truly fulfills and sustains us. We ask you would show us each step of the way how we can be more like Jesus, that you would walk us through that process, that you would give us this bread always. You would work in our hearts so we can recognize exactly how we need to be changed in order to be more like you every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the praise team to come up. And I'll tell you that we as a church, we believe that every time the gospel is preached, you have an opportunity to respond and you should act on what God has said to you. And we also believe as a church that being a, full, uh, a fully developed disciple of Jesus means that you are connecting with God and his church, growing in faith and love and serving his community and world. And as a church, we seek to provide opportunities to do each of those things. So first of all, as you're looking to connect with God and his